Hello, welcome back to the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Greyhawk. Uh, and I'm your sidekick, Jackson Nefflin. Thank you for joining us for episode seven of our prep school bracket. This week, we're going to be talking about 2005's Sky High, mm-hmm. as well as 2001's O. First, let's talk about Sky High, the Disney Channel original movie that could. <laughs> Gods, it really is. Everything is brightly colored. It's a lot of teenagers. We're dealing with incredibly simple understandings of morality and culture. There's an uplifting message, and everyone goes home happy and makes out of different gendered love interests. <laughs> That's my summary. <laughs> <laughs> so, quick recap. Will Stronghold's parents, the world-famous superheroes of the Commander Jetstream, are so excited for him to go to Sky High, a prestigious school for superheroes. What they don't know is he has no powers. On his first day, he gets assigned to the sidekick track, along with his childhood friend Layla and other folks with shit-tier powers like melting and glowing. While hiding this from his dad, he befriends his cohorts and honestly enjoys sidekicking, eventually coming out. But then the next day, he gets into a fight with War and Peace, son of his dad's arch nemesis, and his super strength activates. He's relocated to the hero track, but promises to still be friends with the sidekicks. This proves difficult as his popularity increases and his new friends belittle the sidekicks, and a romance with Gwen Grayson leads to him setting up Layla on a date where she bonds with Warren. She sort of inflicts friendship upon him with the help of her cohorts, and he loosens up a bit. Meanwhile, Will realizes what a jerk he's been when Gwen throws a party at his house and kicks Layla out of it, so he dumps her and decides to just not go to the prom. At the prom, Gwen reveals herself as a royal pain, an old supervillain, who stages the party to get her old de-aging tech pack from the stronghold's secret sanctum under their house. Now it's up to the sidekicks to bring her and the other bullies she's been working with down, re-age their parents, and save the day. Mr. Stronghold declares the sidekicks to be truly heroes. Everybody makes out with a different gendered person. The end! <laughs> I include that last bit because there's a bit where a character who has had no lines stands next to Warren and he sort of takes her hand and they just walk off screen as if it's like, hey, yes, look, he has the hat. Okay, you have to point out, she has ice powers, Warren has fire powers, so she just kind of walks up to him dressed in a white dress and her hand starts glowing a faint blue. And then Warren, who is in his black tux, his hand starts glowing orange and then they hold hands and then steam comes off of it. Yep. The steamiest love scene Disney has ever given us. Put your hands on my head. It needs more slaps. <laughs> and then they would go on to, on to birth Todoroki from My Hero Academia, <laughs> which is set in the same universe. I do not exactly know how much influence this specific film had on uh, My Hero Academia, but it seems like more than you'd think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are many stories to tell in that space, but there's only so many different ways to set it up, especially if you want it to be a very general approach to this mm-hmm. idea. Also... Speaking of Disney Channel movies, this reminds me a lot of The Descendants, and it's about the kids of more prominent heroes, and has the same kind of color palette and vibe. Less of a powerful gay energy, though. This came out kind of during a lull for Disney Channel original movies. This is right before they got a huge shot in the arm with High School Musical. Right. And the writers on this are also mostly work uh, for television, although they usually work for Disney's animated shows. Right. You know, High School Musical got a reboot in Disney+. Plus. I wouldn't mind a Disney Plus reboot of Sky High. I mean, there were talks of a sequel film called Save You. God damn it. I would watch the hell out of that. (laughs) As well as a TV series. In fact, it was only Kurt Russell and Kelly Preston who weren't up for coming back for their roles. But 
honestly could get around that. They're the commander in Jetstream. They're just always off saving the world. Right. I guess it's sort of talking about how this movie has a truly incredible cast. It does. Like, there's a lot of people who show up in a lot of Disney Channel stuff. The voice of Pleakley is here as one of the teachers at the school. You have Bruce Campbell, who loves doing this sort of campy stuff. Linda Carter, the woman who portrayed Wonder Woman on television here as the principal. Incredible casting choice. She's having a clearly a very good time. I'm not Wonder Woman, you know. Having a blast, I should say, since she's a comet. We have uh, Kevin Heffernan. Many of you will recognize from Broken Lizard Productions, probably specifically Super Troopers, as the bus driver. And then, yeah, we've got... Kurt Russell's in this. Playing what if Ego got to just be a dad? There's a lot of weird similarities between this and his portrayal of Ego in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. But the cast is so star-studded, I think that's what kind of elevates this above the normal Disney Channel original content. Mm-hmm. And they're all clearly having a good time with it, which I think really helps. They bring their star power, but they're not treating it like this is some deep, moody exploration of the human soul. They know this is a comic book film and they're here to have a good time with it. They don't think lesser of the film because it's being campy. It's just that's exactly what it is. Right. I think my favorite bit with the parents is when they're talking about how the son doesn't have any powers and how there's no way for him to reliably get powers. But we can't change who he is. Not without dropping him in a vat of toxic waste. And then Kurt Russell goes, Oh no, why, where would we even find a vat of- Steve! I just, I'm thinking. <laughs> That's a good bit. There's a lot of just very one-off or blink-and-you-miss-it jokes. Like, I really love the way they play Kurt Russell's super strength for comedy. <laughs> There's a bit where he's trying to play pool, but he's too angry, so he punches through the pool ball with the cue. Or uh, just a few scenes before that where he's really angry at Will getting placed in the sidekick track. He thinks that the coach just has it out for him because of old school grudges. So he's going to call up the school and he breaks the phone as he dialing. And then he opens up a drawer in the kitchen and just full of other phones because this is a frequent occurrence. Uh, also in the cast, we've got Daniel Panamaker, who some of you might know from The Flash. She plays Killer Frost. In The Flash, not here. Right. Here she plays, I guess... A good version of Poison Ivy. Okay, one, Poison Ivy's already the good version of Poison <laughs> Ivy. Let's get that fucking straight. A less antagonistic version of Poison Ivy. Yeah, a sort of wilting violet Poison Ivy. God damn it. <laughs> I actually like her character a lot. She specifically refuses to participate in the test to see if you're going to be a hero or a psychic because she acknowledges the inherent fascism of the system, and so she gets demoted for that, which, you know, I respect that. Despite being clearly incredibly good at her job, like, towards the end, she just wipes out an army of folks with her plants while glowing. Oh, Penny. Penny is such a great character. I love Penny so much. So, Penny is the school cheerleader. They don't have a cheer squad. They just have one cheerleader because her power is she can duplicate herself. Uh, and she's also the kind of number two to uh, our main villain, Gwen Grayson, which I love that as a alias name. Like it's curbing from Dick Grayson and Gwen Stacy, mm-hmm. played in this film by Mary Elizabeth Winstead, who you may have seen in some of the later Die Hard films as John McClane's daughter. We talked about her earlier on this podcast 
in Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, where she played Mary Todd Lincoln. She has an incredible range. I didn't recognize her because of how different those performances are. I mean, to be fair, they're also a number of years apart. Sure. But yeah, she's got chops, and she is definitely playing campy here, but it works. And I really like when she transitions from this sweet, innocent, trying to please everyone facade that she puts on to after she gets dumped at the party by Will, just completely doing a 180 and just being this evil, snide person. But it doesn't feel unbelievable. Like, I believe that evil snideness was always in there, but she just was so good at being charming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we get, like, little hints of it every now and then with her politicking and machinations at school, as well as when the Stronghold family and her are going through the Stronghold's old high school yearbook. Mm-hmm. I didn't really dig into it super well, but there's a whole thing of her being de-aged and having to go through puberty twice and being very upset about all that, which... I'm not sure if quite that comes through, but admittedly, I'm not sure how you would play that. I'm not sure who would be able to portray that character. I mean, theoretically, you could make it someone who actually has gone through puberty twice and hire a trans actor. I mean, okay, yes, but (laughs) unfortunately, while we're listing a lot of actors who you probably have heard of, our protagonist, played by Michael Anagrano, He's been in things, nothing really of note. Like, I mean, he's in This Is Us, but like, he, he's not like you know the main guy from This Is Us. Is there a main guy? I don't know. I'm not a liberal. I haven't seen This Is Us. <laughs> Neither have I. Yeah. But like, I know him best from The Forbidden Kingdom, which I was super excited about, and then I decided to give up halfway into because like, oh, this is just white guy is going to save all of the Asian people with his doofish present dayness, isn't it? It's a little bit of that. <sighs> I have a fondness for that film because it came out on my golden birthday. Mm, Sure, that makes sense. (laughs) And so I went to go see it. It was fun. And Jackie Chan and Jet Li in a movie together is just awesome. (laughs) Mm, I'll give you that. But no, there are definitely some white savory tropes there. I will not deny that. Yeah. I think that like it didn't endear me to Will Stronghold as a character. Yeah, he is kind of your stereotypical doofy white male protagonist for this sort of thing who learns an important life lesson. Right. And he kind of just fumbles his way into success. He didn't have to work for his powers, and it's not like it was a particularly difficult moral choice. So, yeah. yeah. He also has some of the best powers. He's super strong, nigh invulnerable, and has the power of flight. Yeah. They basically bred a Superman. He's sort of the least fun of, like, the characters who have any real weight to them. Mm -hmm. Speaking of characters with, with real weight, War and Peace! War and Peace is by far the most interesting character in this movie. He also has the best name. He does. Not only is it a good just pun name, it's also a good pun name for this exact kind of movie. Mm -hmm. It is perfect for having a fun, punny name that plays off of your character's history and personality. So War and Peace as a character, his father was a supervillain, and I believe his mother was a superhero. And so he is inherently has this duality about him. We see that explored pretty well throughout the film. He starts off having this chip on his shoulder when Will Stronghold shows up, especially when Will is trying to make a name for himself in the school because of who his parents are. They clash physically. That's how Will ends up discovering his super strength. Mm. But he's also there when Layla gets stood up, and then we begin to see a completely different side of Warren. Yeah, he has this 
fairly thorough understanding of the human condition, or at least you know, as good as you can for a teenager, but also was very frustrated with it. You get the impression that he's seen a lot of what makes people tick and is very frustrated to have more understanding than other people around him and how that makes him very over it all. Yeah, he's very ready to get out of high school because he knows that there's so much waiting beyond that and not everyone around him has realized that yet. Right. Like, there's definitely a archetype that Warren falls into of kind of this, like, loner bad boy, but who is also kind of wise beyond his years, uh, well-read. War and Peace definitely seems like the guy who's reading classical poetry off in the corner in the cafeteria. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know who actually got a shot of him reading Paradise Lost, but I'm pretty sure he has read Paradise Lost of his own volition. Mm-hmm. His motivations are nuanced. Like, he sees Layla being hurt by Will, like, talks to her, like, you really care about this guy, even though I don't like him, just tell him how you feel. He doesn't like Will, because he's met him, but he's not, like, an actual unkind person. He, he's willing to, like, be there for someone who's clearly in need, which is nice. Yeah. It, it makes me very sure that he's going to be a good hero once he's smoothed out some of his rough edges. Yeah. Later on, when he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't tell him because he's going to homecoming with someone else. So I figured... Wouldn't you know it? I told him I was going with you instead. I don't remember that being the plan. Please, I promise. I'll make this as painless as possible. So, you're not doing this just because you like me or anything. You're doing this to get a stronghold. Yeah. And I'm in. <laughs> he does it really well. Uh, the actor, Stephen Strait, is doing a great job here. Like, he's very believable very charismatic he feels very comfortable in this character yeah he also has a song on the soundtrack which kind of makes me think of him as a christian kane sort of factor oh for sure <laughs> oh wow sorry i just have this <laughs> mental image of like season five christian kane from leverage raising uh, moody war and peace <laughs> honestly there's a lot of similarities between war and peace and elliot from leverage mm-hmm. any other characters we really want to talk about that are i i guess like Quick note, our Balkan skull for the movie. I do really love Speed and Lash. Uh, Speed doesn't get a whole lot of characterization besides kind of being the number two to Lash's more charismatic bully. And they are a thing out of stretch powers and a fat guy with, with speedster powers. And you never see fat speedsters. That makes me happy. Mm-hmm. They have the fiddle and the bow dynamic, which is always great in a comedy duo. Mm. It, it worked super well with Balkan skull in Power Rangers. Honestly, my only complaint is that Lash dresses like he's a roadie for All-American Rejects. I mean, you're not wrong. He could still be. His style is just so very of its time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like how they use the dumb striped shirt because it works super well with his powers. Yeah. There's also a really fun bit where they're doing a training exercise and Will winds up pulling his arms out and tying him into a knot mm -hmm. to restrain him, which was really fun. Yeah. It's a good bit. Anyway, there's a lot about Sky High that's really fun, but we can't spend our entire time talking about that, so we should probably talk about O. We should. But we're not going to. Let me explain. So we found ourselves in uncharted territory this week. O is the first film that we've watched for the podcast that we did not have the will to finish. About 40 minutes into the movie, there's a sex scene that takes a really unfortunate turn. And we've watched other films with sexual assault scenes, but this one is needlessly graphic. And we couldn't in good conscience recommend our listeners watch this film, uh, especially those of you who are survivors. So that being said, we're 
going to disqualify O and expel them from the bracket. Yep. I think we both have a few dunks we want to make before we're done talking about O. But after that, we totally intend to just go back and talk about Sky High until our end segment. We also talk about Nosferatu. Like, we, we stopped watching O and we're like, hey, you want to check out Nosferatu on Hulu? And one last thing, for anyone who sought this film out in preparation to like listen to this episode, we sincerely apologize. Mm-hmm. So, O is a high school AU of Othello. If you want to get a sense of what this film is trying to do, just watch the thug notes on Othello. It's pretty much the same, and that program is just super funny. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like five minutes long. Yes. Yeah. But it's not a direct high school AU. They don't use like the original dialogue, but which means that they are cowards. Mm-hmm. A lot of the character names are changed around, but that's mostly because a lot of those names just wouldn't make sense in an American high school. Right. So Iago becomes Hugo, Othello becomes Odin, Desdemona just becomes Desi, the Duke just becomes the basketball coach. (laughs) Yep, played by Martin Sheen. Honestly, one thing I will say about this film, Martin Sheen's performance is very compelling. He's not playing a good character, but the way he is presenting that character is very well done. Yeah. I don't want to spend too much time in this space, but I do want to bring up the weirdness that Desdemona wears a tank top with a Confederate flag on it before taking it off to make out with Othello, and it's weird and not commented on, and I don't like it. Yeah. It's also super weird because it's Julia Stiles playing Desi. She was Joan in Mona Lisa Smile two weeks ago. I think my biggest frustration here is actually Josh Hartnett as Hugo, the Iago analog. He's mumbling most of his lines, which makes it even more difficult to follow the plot. For those not super familiar, Iago's whole thing is he's jealous of Othello, so he's trying to ruin his life. But if you're not super familiar with Othello, the mumbling of lines and his motivations make his machinations just feel weird and arbitrary. And Josh Hartnett is playing him like someone who's going to be a serial killer in 1d4 years, so that didn't help. Apparently no one else makes the connection except Desi. (laughs) Like, it's just like, I don't trust that guy. And she's right not to. The film opens up with Hugo's narration, and it's just a bunch of close-ups of doves. (laughs) Only slightly less weird than the live eagle they released at the basketball games. Hawk. Because they are the hawks. Uh, So they have a live hawk mascot that is just at the games. I should complain, but admittedly, the Animorphs also had a live hawk mascot, so... (laughs) But speaking of kids with superpowers, let's go back to Sky High, where it's not terrible. Yeah, this this is not a good film. Nope. <laughs> back to Sky High. Yep. Well, speaking of race stuff, there is an uncomfortable bit where Will gets onto the bus to Sky High for the first time, and the bus driver, Ron Wilson, realizes who he is, and he's like, oh, uh, you can have a seat up in the front. Hey, you kids, move. And those kids are kids of color. Yep. It's, um, it's not great. <laughs> nope. So, like, those two kids actually end up becoming his friends. You've got Ethan and Magenta. Who are Melty Boy and Guinea Pig Girl. So we haven't really talked about some of the less successful parts of the film, but there's this whole, you guys actually are heroes thing at the end. And I get what the film is going for, but these kids are still not likely to be very effective superheroes. Melting kind of useful for some situations, but... These kids still aren't going to be able to like hold their own weights against people whose powers are like eye lasers or duplication or fire powers or whatever. And I think that the film doesn't quite address the inherent tendency towards a sort of ranting classic economy when you have kids with single superpowers. 
Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that all superheroes are inherently fascist. I'm saying that this film presents a very fascist world and doesn't really fully fix it by the end. Yeah, when you're dealing with unequal expressions of superheroes, you have to kind of avoid the Ubermensch problem. Right. And this film does not do that. Right. This film is kind of interacting with the idea of superpowers as being a metaphor for other things, but not specifically. Like, the bit where Will comes out about being a psychic, you could read a gay metaphor into that. But there's also, you could read this as a race analog, you could read it as a disability analog. There's a stuff in there. It's, it's the problem of the X metaphor. Yeah. Which I'm glad they've now decided to shelve. <laughs> this is not a thing anymore in the comic books. Thinking about uh, Will coming out to his dad. The way that scene plays out, especially when you take a look at what happens when Gwen comes over to the house after Will gets his powers and how excited his dad is, it's very much reads as a, my boy is heterosexual, I'm so happy. Yep. He also seems a little too enthusiastic about Gwen. Like, I have in my notes, oh, the, the commander is definitely has the hots for Gwen. That's super uncomfortable. Tale as old as time, a superhero and their sexy supervillainess who has now been de-aged and is <laughs> like a senior in high school, so is maybe technically legal at this point, and the superhero's 14-year-old son. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> but yeah, by the same token, Commander apparently keeps breaking phones in anger, and it's not a great sign that a character is so used to not being able to control his anger that he has just a bunch of backup phones for that exact problem. Yeah, there's a lot going on with the commander that just reads as, like, 1950s dad. We talked about how the commander and gesture would also be a pretty good uh, read and sue. Mm-hmm. Although also, friend of the podcast, Mike Mills, gutted Eleanor and Chidi from The Good Place as read and sue, which are two very different directions. <laughs> yes. I'm not sure who is who of uh, Eleanor and Chidi as Sue and read, but... <laughs> If you start reading too much into this movie, some of the world building starts breaking down. Right. Do people know about the existence of Sky High and not its location, or completely don't know about the school at all? I got the impression it was a, at least partially a location thing. Like, they might know that Sky High exists, but not much more than that. Yeah. I also assume there are many Sky Highs, because they all get there by bus. Another bus doesn't seem to move very quickly until Ashford picks up everybody, so they're probably, like, all located around the same central city, as it were. Mm-hmm. So Speed and Lash, they compete in a competition at school called Save the Citizen. This one, they get to choose whether they're heroes or villains, and Speed and Lash are undefeated and always choose villains, and I really think they probably should see the school psychologist if that's the case. Right. It really doesn't seem like the school does a good job of weeding out students who may have bad intentions with their powers after they leave school. Yeah. And I think that it would actually be very interesting to have a superhero school narrative that is very specifically focused on what the school is doing to ensure the ethics of its graduates, not just their efficacy. Mm -hmm. That seems like a really fun thing, and I'd love for that to be like the focus of a New Mutants adaption. Mm -hmm. That said, I think a lot of the teachers are maybe not the most ethical. Maybe not like actively immoral, but Mr. Medulla definitely seems more interested in the possibilities of science than the responsibilities of science. All about coulda, not about shoulda. Listen, there's a very great bit where Bruce Campbell's trying to get him to go on a, a double date with him by saying, What if I said it's not just her twin, it's her evil twin? This Friday, you say? Medulla, you dog. <laughs> we all see how the date goes. Mr. Medulla goes home with both twins. 
which is hilarious to me. Yeah, he's having a great time. He's just like, you said that? True story. You're so funny. I love life. <laughs> Thanks, Boom, for inviting me. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, While I'm questioning the ethics of the school, from a, if this was a real perspective, from a just telling a fun, wacky story perspective, it's great. Like, I love how adult of the character. Yeah. One thing I will say, the effects are not very good. <laughs> they are better than The Gamers 2 Darkness Rising, but worse than The Flash Season 2. <laughs> and part of that is this is from 15 years ago, and part of that is this is really just an elevated decom, and they just don't have the budget for effects. Mm -hmm. I'm also assuming a lot of their budget went to their cast. Right, which, good place for it. Like, I don't need the effects to look real when nothing else does. Like, everything is very heightened. All the characters are, yeah. are wearing color-coded outfits. It's fine. Yeah, so. and they are pretty sparing with their effects. Although, weirdly, we have two different freezing effects. One in Mr. Medulla's class and one by a lady with ice powers at the start of the school day. Well, yeah, one's from powers and one's from a freeze ray. Right. Also... We see those kids that got frozen for sexual harassment days later. They're still there. They're just dead. They're just two corpses on the front lawn. <laughs> I think the place where the effects hurt it most is when they try and cover up the bad effects. So there is a flashback sequence talking about when the commander first met Jetstream and them fighting against Royal Pain. And the flashback is all in grayscale, and it's a bunch of quick cuts. You can barely tell what's going on, but it's them throwing each other around, the commander, like, punching the ground and shockwaves going out, busting through walls, everything like that. So there, it's pretty effects-heavy sequence, and it is monochrome and quick cutting because they don't want you to see how poor the effects are. Mm -hmm. We get a few of the whole, a stronghold punching the ground so hard that it ripples effects, and they are very clearly procedurally generated. <laughs> I don't particularly mind. I'm still having a good time, but they look more Lego Batman than the Dark Knight, as it were. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I would agree with that. It's not enough to make me not enjoy watching the film. Like I said, they are used pretty sparingly, but it, it seems just this huge omission, because this is a Disney movie. <laughs> they have tons of money to throw around. It, it, maybe not necessarily 15 years ago, but I kind of still expect better. Sure. But also, I think this was before superhero movies were a thing you were expected to throw all that much money at. I mean, Iron Man wouldn't come out for a few more years, and that was kind of a revolution in superhero movies that looked good. Uh, I mean, we had the Raimi Spider-Mans come out three years prior to this. That's true. I'll give you that. I, I will definitely say that this is right in the beginning of the big superhero boom. And I think that's one of the reasons that Disney wanted to kind of get in on the ground floor. Then they just realized, oh, we'll just buy Marvel. <laughs> Why get in on the ground floor when you can buy the floor and the building and the island and the world? They said, quoting from, from a DreamWorks movie. <laughs> oh, I don't think we ever uh, mentioned it. Patrick Warburton's also in this movie. Oh, yeah. Not physically, but he is the voice of Royal Pain. Mm -hmm. She has that voice changer thing from Arrow that works way better when you have an actual mask on and not just some grease paint. <laughs> the voice is what uh, prevented the commander from realizing that Royal Pain was a woman mm -hmm. the entire time. And I just wrote in my notes, <laughs> girls can sound like Patrick Warburton, too. Hashtag aspirations. As you might have guessed, 
Shit High is a fun romp, and it's a kind of a breath of fresh air from all the Oscar bait we've had. Yeah. So it's definitely the one that's moving on. Yeah. This is kind of in the same realm as St. Trinian's. Yeah, this is St. Trinian's with a bit more cohesion. Yeah, and a bit more wholesome. Who would win in a fight? The kids from Sky High or the kids from St. Trinian's? I think that would depend on how much planning the St. Trinian's kids get. Hmm. Well, let's say it's like a three-round thing. Okay, well, Sky High definitely takes round one. Yeah. I think after that, it's anyone's game. I think it all depends on how much effort they put into getting Layla on their side. If St. Trinian's like, flips Layla, then it's over for everybody else. Because, mm-hmm. again, army of plans! Mm-hmm. There's definitely a bit where I thought Layla was going to walk into that party and just massacre everybody. That would have been a very different film. Not one I'm, that I'm opposed to. Really, that's just Carrie, but, like, plant powers. Ooh, actually, oh man, a Poison Ivy origin story that's Carrie? That sounds great, actually. I, I would agree. Yeah, wow. Call me, Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> I should definitely write this movie. Yeah, so why don't we go ahead and get into our end segment. Most nerd, jock, goth, prep. Yep. And they're all going to be from Sky Hacks. I don't want to think about it anymore. Fair enough. Uh, I think most nerd probably goes to... Oh, what's his name? Ethan? Mount Wyatt? Yeah. Who's our jock? I mean, the commander, but he's disqualified. <laughs> yes. Hold on. Let's go rethink Ethan. I honestly think Gwen is probably more nerd than Ethan is. She's a technopath. I mean, she has magic technology powers, but her aspect and demeanor aren't nerdy. Like, she's, she isn't facts-based. She just happens to like be good at building technology, but that's not a thing she chose. She just is good at it. Okay, second puberty Gwen, yes. Uh, oh, but first puberty Gwen. Yeah, which I believe her name is, like, Sue Tenney. Mm. Yeah, Sue Tennyson. Ooh, actually, yeah. Yeah, she's a huge nerd. She built that whole thing. Yeah, and she's founding member of the science club. So, yeah, we're going to go with Gwen slash Sue. Yeah. Then, Jock. Honestly, I'm thinking Penny. <laughs> I wrote my notes Gen 1 Sue Tennyson, and I got shortened to Gen 10. <laughs> uh, I was saying uh, Penny for most prep. I was going to say for, for most Jock. Oh, actually, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, she is constantly in her cheerleading outfit. That's true. And she is an entire cheerleading team. Mm-hmm. Remember Wolfgang, you're not naming really for a wolf, but for a whole gang of wolves. <laughs> so now we have prep and goth. I think I think War and Peace is probably the most goth. Yeah, the only one who could give him a rum for his money is Magenta. I think she is more visually goth, but she just doesn't have the demeanor or honestly the lines to get there. Although... We've established that goth and punk are the same thing. For, for our purposes, yes. And Layla is explicitly anti-fascist. Is Daniel Panabaker the most goth character in this? No, it's definitely Warren. Okay. So yeah, I'd say, um, well, Sue Tennyson is most nerd. Gwen Grayson is most prep. Yeah, I would probably agree with that. I mean, the the closest we get is otherwise is Penny or Will when he's being shitty. Right, but I think Will is protagonist of these. He's kind of like the Axis Mundi. He's like the he, master of all four realms. Yeah, and Will only gets to prep due to being a legacy, which, to be fair, is a very prep thing to do. Right, I mean, but also Gwen Grayson <laughs> is a legacy of herself. So Sue Tenny for nerd, Gwen Grayson for prep. Wow, I think it's the first time a character managed to be both things. I think we've avoided it here but like they're two distinct characters kind of yeah i think it's 
more appropriate that we get this weirdness from our of one superhero movie on the bracket. Right. I mean, what's a superhero for if not having duplicate characters in <laughs> three out of four ca- uh, categories? Well then, I think that just means we're moving on to the last episode of round one for the bracket. Wow, that went pretty fast, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that episode? So this episode... Gonna be wild. We have School Ties with Matt Damon and Brendan Fraser. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking about. And then we have Class with Rob Lowe. What's Class about again? Class is Rob Lowe's boarding school roommate has sex with his mom. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. I I hate Rob Lowe and normally would not put this movie on the bracket, but someone fucks his mom, so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, find out if that's any good next week. Until then, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you catch your pods, but also argue with us. I feel like we were kind of playing it fast and loose with the goth nerd prep jock axes. Who do you think should be the most prep of Sky High? We're going to reuse these again in the round two matchups, including a new category for our end segments, as we usually do. So if we hear strong arguments, we may make changes. Mm-hmm. Feel free to comment or add us on Twitter, Facebook, email us if you want. Until our next episode, this has been the Gratuitous Pausing Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.